baseball hat stands in the field with his ball and bat. Have you ever wished that you could be great at something? Somebody say yes besides me, okay? So today, there's a debate that's going to go on this evening about who the greatest football player ever has been. You know, we argue about the greatest baseball player. Babe, was it Babe Ruth? Hank Aaron just passed away a week or so ago. A lot of people think Hank Aaron belongs up there. Who's the GOAT, greatest of all time, the GOAT? And so today, with the... The Super Bowl? Is that going on today? Some football game somewhere? Um, so there will be this conversation today about who the GOAT is, the greatest of all time quarterback. And so a lot of people think Tom Brady, who's quarterbacking today for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that he's the greatest of all time. 
Those of us who were 49er fans in the 1980s, we believe the greatest of all time was Joe Montana. And then, of course, there's those that are really old school. I mean, those of you that are really old, you know, Ron and Dave, you probably think, you know, Johnny Unitas is the GOAT, the greatest of all time. There's this, there's this ongoing conversation about greatness. I've always wanted to be great at something. Just one thing. Uh, I fell in love with basketball when I was 12 or 13 in junior high, and basketball became just like the passion of my life for many, many years. And when I was in high school, at the age of 15, um, I achieved my current height. My wife thinks I've shrunk a little. I may have. But in 10th grade, I was about this size, 6'2". And literally, honestly, I prayed daily for two more inches. I wasn't greedy. I wasn't greedy. I just wanted two more. I wanted to be 6'4". And uh, there's that passage in Matthew that talks about adding one cubit to the height. And we've understood that that cubit now has more to do with life in that passage. But that was my passage. I wanted to be a great basketball player. I was always average. I was always just one of the guys on the team. My friend Richard was our star player. He got a college scholarship to John Brown University. I was just average. I was an average football player, basketball player, baseball player. Sang in the choir. I was never invited to sing solos. You know, just, just average. John the Baptist never sought greatness. That was never part of his agenda. His life and his declaration was always, I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He would say of Jesus, He is mightier than I. I'm not worthy to do what? I'm not worthy to stoop down and and tie his sandals. The, the, The actions of the lowest, most menial servant. Uh, John would say he wasn't even worthy to do that. John the Baptist never sought greatness. It's interesting how many churches around the world have his name on the front, right? And by the way, you all know what his middle name is. The. John the. Yeah, anyway. Um, so, but he never sought greatness. And yet, if you're reading through the Gospels, as you've read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, One of the declarations of Jesus about John the Baptist is more than a prophet. And of all the men ever born of women, John the Baptist is the greatest. And you read that and you think, you know, there's a lot of great people in the Bible, right? There's the father of the Jewish nation, Abraham. John the Baptist is greater. There's King David. Wow. John the Baptist, greater. Think of all the great prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. John the Baptist, greater. Or you come into the New Testament, the apostles, Peter, Paul, John the Baptist, greater. The greatest man ever born among women. And so I asked myself the question, Why is John the Baptist given that accolade by Jesus, the greatest man ever born of women? And so as we come to Mark chapter 1 this morning, I want to read this paragraph about John the Baptist. 
And I want you to think with me just for a few moments this morning, actually several moments, if truth be told, and uh, discover what it is about John the Baptist that caused Jesus to say he was the greatest man ever born of women. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We've been, I've been trying to get to this passage for almost a month, and uh, here we are finally. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Just as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I'm sending my messenger before you who will prepare your way. The voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. His diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching, saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to bend down and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John wasn't great because of his choice of clothing, right? John wasn't great because of the diet he advocated. You know, you think of all the diets today, West Beach, Palm Beach, South Beach. Oh, yeah, whatever. I don't, I've never heard of this wild loc- or honey and wild locust uh, diet. What was it that made John the Baptist great? I think what it was is that John the Baptist was a man whose life was committed to preparing the way for Jesus into the lives of other people. That was his whole mission. That was his whole task. To be a way maker. To make a way for Jesus into the lives of people. And so three things have impressed me as I've thought about this in John the Baptist's life, as I've read the Gospels and all about John. Um, Three things have impressed me. And so I want to suggest to you this morning, there's three key tasks, three key responsibilities of someone who's going to be a way maker in the hearts and lives of people and make a way for Jesus. The first thing is this that impresses me is that a way maker prepares the way for Jesus in people's lives. This passage says that John came preaching and that word is the word to herald. A herald was someone who preceded the king. The king or the ruler was coming to this town. He was going to visit this city. And he would send ahead of him the herald who would declare to the people, the king is coming. The king is on his way. And his task was to prepare the way for the king, to prepare the people for the fact that the king was coming. The herald proclaimed a message, exactly what the king wanted him to say. And that was his job, to just simply herald the message, the king is coming. People, be prepared for the arrival of the king. And it's interesting, in Luke's gospel, he says of John the Baptist at the time of his birth being announced, even before he was born, Luke's gospel says that that angel said of John, he'll turn people back to the Lord. And the suggestion there is of turning people back to the Lord is that There's some obstacles, there's some hindrances, there's some things that are in the way of people getting to the Lord. And they need someone to help them get there. Is that true today? Wow. 
I don't know about you, but if I was in charge of uh, Jesus' campaign, I don't know that I would have chosen the guy with uh, camel hair and honey and locusts. And, you know, that, that, that's not my idea of the ideal PR program, right? But John the Baptist was the one that God chose, the one that Jesus chose. And you and I need to have this same kind of ministry in the lives of people, preparing the way for Jesus to come. And one of the sad things that happens, one of the sad things that happens in the lives of most Christians is that when they become Christians, over a period of three to five years, all of their old unsaved friends that were a part of their lives are now gone. And all of the people that they encounter and spend time with are fellow Christians. And so the impact of our lives is diminished by the fact that, sadly, for many Christians, they have very few, many people have no unsaved friends. This struck me many years ago that it's easy for me to get up in the morning out of my Christian bed in my Christian home and get in my Christian car and go to my Christian in my case, the church office, right? And I, I was with Christians all day long. I was teaching Bible studies. I was preaching. I was, but I was with Christians all the time. Is that a bad thing? Eh, not necessarily. But if our task, if our mission is to prepare the way for Jesus into people's lives, then we need to have people in our lives that don't know Jesus. Does that make sense? And so one of the things that I started doing, I remember when I was in Modesto, um, I joined a computer club. And we had a separate a section of the computer club. There were a group of us that wanted to know more about... Remember DOS? What, what, is, what does DOS stand for? Anybody still remember? Oh, that is so close. Disk operating system. And so I wanted to be an expert in DOS. And, and these guys needed a place to meet. There's only about a half a dozen of them. And so I said, well, you know, uh, my office is open at 7.30 at night. The whole place is pretty empty. And so the computer club began meeting in my office. And I began interacting and meeting and engaging pagans, non-Christians. And they were on the church property, you know. Um, That was great. I went down to the YMCA and started playing basketball down at the YMCA. And I still remember meeting Greg down at the YMCA and... He was kind of indifferent to spiritual things until his business failed and he filed bankruptcy. And all of a sudden, um, what I was saying kind of connected in his life. But I met Greg on the basketball court. Um, I came to Laverne, where I am living currently, and coached Little League. and had a whole hundreds of people that I had encountered with. Um, Several years ago, I went around and introduced myself at mortuaries, making myself available to help families that needed someone uh, at a time like that in their, in their lives. Sometimes we have to force ourselves out of our comfort zone to be able to engage with non-Christians, to prepare the way. But that's what John the Baptist was doing. That was his whole, his whole mission in life, his whole purpose, his whole ministry was to prepare the way for Jesus in people's lives. And so there's, there's five things that, that speak to me about this in terms of what I need to do in my life. Um, if I'm going to prepare the way for Jesus in people's lives, uh, first of all, I need to live a godly life. 
I need to live a life that's, that's different, that people can observe and see. That's important in my life. That's why our theme of following Jesus is so important. Are we living our lives like Jesus? Are we following Him? Are we patterning our lives after Him? My friend Neil Cole likes to say, life is real simple. Listen to Jesus and do what He says. I kind of like that. Do what He says. And as we read through the Gospels, uh, you're discovering a lot of stuff that Jesus says. The question is what? Are we doing what Jesus says? I need to live a godly life. Secondly, I need to know that uh, what it is that God wants me to say. Just like a herald needs to have a message. I need to know what, what God wants me to say. And so there's value, and you've heard me say this before, there's a value in my story. There's a value in being able to share what God has done in my life and being able to also share the gospel message, the significance of Jesus' death on the cross. I need to know what to say. I need to live a godly life. I need to know what to say. Um, I need to develop sensitivity to obstacles in people's lives. Are there problems and obstacles that people have in coming to Jesus? There's lots of obstacles. Lots of obstacles. One of the major obstacles I've discovered that hinders people from coming to Jesus is other Christians. Have you noticed that? So oftentimes I'll be sharing with somebody, oh yeah, I worked with this guy that was a Christian, and then there's a story that follows. Oftentimes I'll talk with someone and they'll say, well, I used to go to church, but I hear that a lot. That breaks my heart when I hear the sentence that begins that way. There's obstacles in people's understanding. They misunderstand so many things about the Bible, about Jesus. And so I need to develop a sensitivity to that and to be listening for that as I have, as I have conversation with people. Um, I'm thankful I can draw on the Holy Spirit's power. Acts 1.8 says, You should receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what we want for our church, right? We want to be a church that's effectively reaching our Jerusalem, our Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. I, I want to draw on God's power to do that. I need to genuinely care about people and what's important to them. You know, I find so often we're a lot more concerned about what matters to me than we are about what matters to other people. We're a lot more concerned about what's important to me than what's important to other people. And one of the things that I've discovered is if you have the opportunity for dialogue with someone, you're going to discover opportunity in dialogue. And I remember, it's been many years ago now, one of the funeral directors at Forest Lawn up in Covina Hills, where I've done services for hmm, almost 25 years, um, I met Solomon, tall, slender, good-looking black man. Probably, when I first met him, he was probably in his 70s. And uh, just a wonderful, kind, caring guy, working at Forest Lawn, older, retired guy, part-time. And um, I remember well, I can still picture it in my mind, meeting Solomon in the lobby there at Forest Lawn and, and I asked him a simple question, and you don't always get honest answers to the question, how you doing, right? What's the standard answer to how you're doing? Fine. You know what fine means, right? 
Feelings inside, nothing expressed. And so you want to push past that fine thing just, just a little bit. You want, to, you want to push past that. And I discovered in that conversation with Solomon that uh, his wife Myrtle uh, was dying of cancer. She was home in a hospital bed in their living room and uh, not doing well, not expected to live much longer. And so here's Solomon working in the funeral industry in this mortuary. And here's the burden in his own heart and life with the condition of his wife. And I said to Solomon, I said, can I pray for you and Myrtle? We're standing there in the lobby of Forest Lawn with all these people hanging out. And, uh, you know, oftentimes we meet somebody and we say, I'll pray for you. And what do we do? We go home and forget about it, right? And so what I've learned to do is I stop right then and pray. And so I said, Solomon, can I, can I pray for you and Myrtle? Let, let's just pray together right now. And so right there in the lobby of Forest Lawn, I prayed with Solomon, prayed for his wife Myrtle, and... Uh, we just developed a great friendship, and I asked him afterwards, I said, um, would it be okay if I came to your house and visited Myrtle and prayed with her? And he said, yes, I'd love for you to do that. And so I made arrangements and, and went to Solomon's home and met his wife, and, and she was weak and tired, could hardly speak. Um, and I forget how long she lived. It was maybe just a few more weeks. But we had a wonderful evening that time just around her hospital bed praying. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And, and the thing that was amazing out of this is here's a, a black couple. And when Myrtle passed away, this black gentleman asked this white pastor to come and officiate Myrtle's funeral ceremony. And... I don't know. There might have been 300 people there. It was, they filled the biggest chapel at Forest Lawn. And we had an amazing, amazing service. But I was one of like three or four white faces of the crowd. But because of a simple thing of caring for somebody, praying with someone, um, Solomon and I forged a great friendship over several years. And as he got into his 80s, his memory started failing him, and he couldn't pay his bills and didn't know how to do his banking. And he would call me and say, Brother Roy, he said, I, I need your help. Will you take me to the bank? And so I began taking him to the bank. I began going over to his home and going through his bills, helping him pay his bills. And you do not want me helping you pay your bills, okay? Let me just give you a little warning here. I do words, not numbers. But Solomon trusted me, and we did that for so many years. And until he passed away, he was about 86. And when I think of caring about what's important to other people, Solomon just pops up into my mind. We need to be people who care about other people, what's important to them, and be less focused on what's important to us. If we're going to make a way for Jesus in the lives of other people, we need to genuinely care about other people. I think it's also important to believe that one person can make a difference. Do you believe that? One person can make a difference. John the Baptist is a classic illustration of that. How many people were doing what John the Baptist did? One. How many other people were out preaching and proclaiming the coming of the king? Just John. And I found this on the internet. Don't you love the internet for research? In 1645, one vote gave Oliver Cromwell control of England. 
1649, one vote caused Charles I of England to be executed. In 1776, one vote gave America the English language instead of German. Achtung. Glad for that. Um, in 1845, one vote brought Texas into the Union and the Cowboys. <laughs> I, did, I was just saying that for Lulu. And for Chewie, if you're watching. <laughs> oh, One vote saved President Andrew Johnson from impeachment in 1868. One, in 1875, one vote changed France from a monarchy to a republic. 1876, one vote gave Rutherford B. Hayes the presidency of the U.S., one vote. 1923, one vote gave Adolf Hitler control of the Nazi party. One vote saved the selective service system in 1941, just one year before Pearl Harbor. One person can make a difference. John the Baptist made a difference. He prepared the way for people to know and follow Jesus. Have you had the privilege of preparing the way for Jesus in someone's life? Now I'm drawing a blank. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade, which today is called Crew. When they announced that name change, um, I suggested we could change the name of our fellowship of churches to Bro. <laughs> anyway, um, Bill Bright, I'm, one of the things he was famous for saying that has always troubled me, Bill Bright used to say that less than 2% of Christians have ever shared their faith with another person. Less than 2%. Have you ever had the privilege of preparing the way for Jesus in the life of another person. How long has it been since you had that opportunity? I remember the phone call I got. It's been now four years ago. I think four years ago. A gal who's now a very good friend of mine named Kathy was married to Byron. And her husband, Byron, had Alzheimer's and was dying of cancer. And Kathy was looking for someone who would share the gospel with her husband. And so Kathy called her friend, Melissa, who lives in Texas, uh, called her friend, Melissa, and said, Melissa, my husband is dying. I want someone to come and share the gospel with him. Who should I call? And Melissa says, do you know Roy Halberg? He's in Southern California where you are. She said, well, I know his brothers. I went to school with his brothers, but I'd, I'd never met Roy. So Kathy called me one afternoon, and she explained the situation with her husband. And she said, would you be willing to come to our home and visit and talk with Byron you know, come around lunchtime. He's usually awake and kind of lucid, and um, I'll make sandwiches if you can come. And um, I, made, I made the mistake, and I don't want to say it's a mistake, but I said, sure, I'd be happy to come. Where do you live? Well, you want to go up the 5 freeway to Gorman <laughs> and get off the freeway in Gorman. At, on the, is that the 138 that goes south? And she said, you'll go down there about eight miles, and then there's a dirt road. <laughs> 
Anyway, so I went out and drove to Gorman and got off the freeway and went to Kathy and Byron's home and sat and had lunch and had the opportunity to, to meet Byron, to share with him. I couldn't tell if he was awake or asleep most of the time. Uh, with his Alzheimer's, I wasn't sure he was really tracking with me, but we had a wonderful conversation, and I had the opportunity to share the gospel with him and pray with him, and I left and went home. And uh, Kathy called me a couple of weeks later, and she said, you know, a couple from church came and visited with Byron, and he accepted the Lord today. And so I didn't have the opportunity to, you know, harvest the seed, if you will, but to plant seeds, prepare the way in someone's life, in someone's heart. God wants us to be way makers in people's lives. I had the opportunity this week in the providence of God, the, my, my very, very good friend who's been a service manager of a Hyundai dealer, three different Hyundai dealers over the last few years. So when you have a car... And the guy who's the manager of the service department is the one taking care of your car. That's where you want to take your car, right? So I trust Dave. I said, you just do to my car whatever you think it needs. I trust you fully. Well, he's got a new job, and he's working for Chrysler Dodge Jeep. And I have to take my car someplace else. And I'm kind of frustrated with this. I want those Hyundai mechanics putting their hands on my car, right? They're trained. They know what to do with my Hyundai. But my friend John owns an auto repair business in Upland, and he's only six miles from my house. I was driving two hours to National City when Dave was down there. Here's John. He's got a car repair shop six miles from my house. So I made an appointment and took my car in. And I was talking with John's wife, Elisa, and I've known John for several years, have met Elisa, don't really know her well. Um, John's a bike rider, so I've gotten to know him in the bike riding community. And, you know. and I was talking with Elisa because both her son and her husband were gone, and we got to talking a little bit, and she, she said something about church uh, meeting indoors. And I said, yeah, we've been meeting indoors for several months. And she says, well, I go to Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, but I like being outside. We can meet outside. We can meet inside. And I'm thinking, she goes to church. She goes to Chino Hills, Calvary Chapel. Hmm. And she didn't say, we like to sit outside. She said, what? I like to sit outside. And I thought to myself, hmm, that implies what? He don't go. Thank you, Tom. He don't go. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. And uh, John and I had an appointment for lunch after my car got repaired, so I knew I was going to have lunch with John in another hour or two. And the thought that impressed me as I was talking with Elisa was, here's a wife of a guy who doesn't go to church. What are the odds? What are the odds that one of her prayers is that God would bring somebody into John's life that would share the gospel with him? What are the odds that that's on her prayer list? <laughs> pretty high? What do you think, vet? Like, about a, you need to stand up and get a little higher. Yeah, pretty, pretty, I bet, pretty high on her list. And, uh, 
You know, I've not had the opportunity, taken the opportunity yet to share the gospel with John. We've, we've got a great friendship. We love spending time together. Um, we volunteer on a committee together in the city of Laverne. But I just found myself thinking, here I am getting ready to preach a message about preparing the way for Jesus in people's hearts. And I'm having this conversation with Elisa. And what are the odds that her prayer is that God would bring someone into her husband's life? Pretty high. Is there anybody that you're praying for that God would bring someone into their life? Absolutely. I've got a brother-in-law we've been praying for for 50 years. Plus. One of our prayers. He's not listening to us. We're family. You know, what do we know? But one of our prayers is that God would bring someone into his life. And you've probably got people in your life that you're praying that way. And the thing that struck me this week is... I'm praying that way for my brother-in-law, and there's other people praying for their family and their friends that someone would come into that person's life and prepare the way for Jesus into their life. And what if I'm that person? What if you're that person? John the Baptist, the greatest man who ever lived. His life was, you know, what we know about him is pretty brief, right? He goes into jail and then gets beheaded and Jesus' ministry takes off. But when you think about John the Baptist, what you ought to think about is prepare the way of the Lord. That's what John's life was all about. And sadly, if Bill Bright is, even, if Bill Bright is wrong by several percentage points, you know, Five times what he said. If you just multiply by five, his 2%, what do you get? Come on, you math wizards. 10%. If fewer than 10% of God's people have ever shared the gospel with someone, there are (laughs) millions of people on this planet that need to know Jesus, right? And they need to hear the good news that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And people misunderstand issues like who is God? What is sin? Who is Jesus? What did Jesus do on the cross? And who is it that God has prepared to carry that message, to herald that truth to the hearts and lives of people? It's you and me. We're the ones that have been entrusted with the gospel. And the gospel means what? Good news. And so we're the ones that God has entrusted with the message that God loves you. God created you. He created you in His image. And He loves you. And He wants to have relationship with you. He wants to have an intimate love relationship with you. A personal relationship with you. And what is it that hinders that from happening if that's what God wants? Our sin, our disobedience, our rebellion against God, our rugged individualism in America's terms, right? We want to go life our own way. We want to do our own thing. And so it's our sin that separates us from God. And so what did God do to solve that problem? Send His Son. God so loved the world. 
that he sent his only begotten son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So the God, the creator who loves you, who wants relationship with you, bridges the gap between you and him, that sin gap, if you will, and sends his son Jesus, who lived a perfect sinless life for 30 years, 33 years, and then willingly went to a, a cross where he died a horrible Awful, painful, horrible death in your place, in my place, that we might put our faith and our trust in his sacrifice for our life of disobedience and sin. And he died, and three days later he rose again from the dead as evidence of God's accepting of that sacrifice. And what God calls on us to do is the same thing John the Baptist called on people to do. What was that? Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from your disobedience. Turn to God. Put your faith and your trust in Jesus. What He's accomplished for you on the cross. That's the message that we herald to a lost world. Prepare the way of the Lord. A father took his daughter to her first baseball game. She loved baseball. And uh, he took her to her first baseball game. And he thought it'd be really cool if they could go on an an evening when there was a giveaway, some kind of a special event day where they're giving away. And so they they had a giveaway at the local baseball uh, team for a baseball glove, free baseball glove for every child under the age of 14. And, And so they came to the baseball game and dad and the daughter were ushered to their seat by the usher and he he handed the baseball glove to the, to the little girl, and she started sobbing uncontrollably. Sobbing, crying, just uncontrollably. And the father tried to console her, tried to calm her down, tried to you know, get her to take a breath. And finally she calmed down enough, and she said, Daddy, I didn't come to play, I just want to watch. Well, sadly, too many of us on our Christian ball club have just come to watch. We don't want to play. If Bill Bright is right, I hope he's wrong. But even if I said, like I said, five five times wrong, 10%. John the Baptist was the greatest man who ever lived, according to Jesus. The greatest man who ever lived. And what was it about John that caused Jesus to make that declaration? He prepared the way for Jesus in people's hearts and in people's lives. And that's what God's calling you and me to do in this world today. And more than ever, more than ever, people need to know Jesus, don't they? More than ever. I don't know if you're willing and ready to commit yourself to be a way maker in the lives of other people. And we probably shouldn't think of it in terms of greatness. <laughs> Jesus' disciples argued a lot about that. Our goal shouldn't be greatness. Our goal should be what? Obedience. Simple obedience. And so, Lord, that's my prayer this morning. I think of this in my relation with John. 
I think of this and the connections and opportunities you give to me with, with unsaved people that need to know Jesus. Lord, I want to be a way maker in people's lives. I want to prepare the way for Jesus into their lives. And Lord, that's my prayer this morning, that you would make us more and more a, a church, a congregation, a family of, of waymakers. And Lord, maybe for some of us, we would say very honestly, you know, I really don't have any unsaved friends. Lord, help us to see opportunity around us. Or maybe to seek out opportunity to cultivate those kind of relationships. People need the Lord. Remind us of that. Even as we sing this next song together, the reminder that, Lord, we need you. We desperately need you in our lives. But lost people all around us need Jesus. Lost people all around us need the hope, the help, the peace, the strength that only He can give. And so, Lord, my prayer in this moment of time is that You would speak into each of our hearts, speak into each of our lives. For some of us, it's a scary thing to think about talking to others about the Lord. For others of us, we're very comfortable. But regardless where we are on that spectrum of I pray in this moment of time that you would, by your Holy Spirit, speak into our hearts, speak into our lives. That like John the Baptist, we might be those whose lives are marked by preparing the way for Jesus into the hearts and lives of people. Do that in my life, Lord. Do that in each of our lives. This is our prayer together in Jesus' name. Amen.
you have that sense this morning? That you need Jesus? Every hour, every minute, every second, right? Oh Lord, how I need you. A few moments ago, uh, you heard the gospel. The good news. The good news that God loves you. God cares about you. God wants relationship with you. And most of us here, I'm confident, uh, have entered into that relationship. Our faith and our trust is in Jesus. His, his death on the cross is payment for sin. But if you're still in the process of understanding that, you're still in the process of processing what that means and how that touches your life, if you've got questions, um, I'd love to talk with you. There's others in the church family that would love to talk with you. Um, one of the things we want to do is to prepare the way for Jesus into your heart and life. We'd love the opportunity to do that. So as you go out these doors this morning, you go out into a world that needs to know Jesus. And you and I are privileged, like John the Baptist, to prepare the way for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's coming. And He wants to come into their hearts and into their lives. May God find us faithful, obedient, to be preparing the way for Jesus. Let's do that this week, can we? Let's do that. Have a great week. God bless you much.